Okay. <laughs> All right, Jeff, we're going to try this again. As sure. I was saying. Yes, okay. All right. <laughs> this podcast does seem just a little bit different than others for Thank some you for reason. Listening to the I'm Fields not sure Brothers what it is. Show. Maybe we'll figure it out along the way here. So you doing the intro? Yeah, I'll do. Yeah, we're, we're the Fields Brothers. We're in uh, we're recovering pastors. We're in Central Kentucky, and uh, we talk about the grace of God, life on this side of the cross, and we talk about whatever else kind of strikes us at the moment, what's going on in our lives, anything we seem to think is humorous. Um, and so anyway, so Jeff, uh, what's going on over on your side of the table? Well, um, we have a guest today, Roger. So everyone, as uh, as we indicated in previous podcasts, for this, is, I counted them up. I think this is only the sixth time we've had a guest. I didn't think it'd be our, that many times, yeah, really. There has been, yeah. Really? Wow. Um, I'll, I'll fill you in later okay, on all yeah. those were. And so, well, I've uh, forgotten four of them then, that means, <laughs> so uh, they must have been. <laughs> Well, we had mom one time. She was one of them. Okay, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Okay, yeah, we did do that. All right. So anyway, we are absolutely thrilled today to have Phelan Daughtry. Daughtry? Daughtry? How do I say that? Ah, uh, yeah, Daughtry. I finally get Daugherty. to say it. This, it finally gets to be said right in this podcast. My Daugherty. name is Roger. i butchering your Daugherty. name. Daugherty. Daugherty. That's it. So uh, from Ireland here, and his wife, uh, Nicola, is here in the studio. So we have an audience. She, she preferred not to be behind a microphone, but... Uh, She's here with us. She's promised and, to behave um, herself. And, and uh, so, so um, we, uh, Phelan, I, I didn't mention to you earlier, but we don't pay for people to come on our podcast. Did we so mention I, that? I didn't realize. So there, I, I didn't no, realize. I'm I off now, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> thanks, bring thanks that up now. Much. I meant to tell you that and just totally slipped my mind. <laughs> right. so. This would be a shorter podcast than most, <laughs> but, you know. Well, well, you mean you didn't even pay your mother. <laughs> so, no, that's, that's no, terrible. No, mom didn't get no, paid either. Well, that's no, true. We treat everybody equally. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. So you're getting paid the same as our mom. Let's put it that way. All right. We call it double if you want to. So. But anyway, the um, uh, so it, it is a privilege to have Phelan, uh, Daughtry, I'm going to struggle with that. I'll just say Phelan with us uh, for this podcast. Uh, we may go a little longer. We'll see on this podcast than what we normally do, or we may break it up into two. We really don't know. This is not as normal. This is not well uh, organized ahead of time. But um, I, so Phelan, you and I first became acquainted on Facebook a few years ago. Neither one of us really remember the specifics of that. And then... Um, you have written a, a book that I very much enjoyed and appreciated um, called The Father We Never Knew. That's that, right. Yes. Okay. Yes. The Father uh, We Never Knew. Is that the yes. exact title? The Father okay. We Never Knew. And it's got a subtitle as well, um, The um, Restoration of the Gospel. Uh, actually, it's called The Unbinding of the Lazarus Church right, okay. by the Restoration of the Gospel. So really, it's a book about the gospel. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that for sure yeah, yeah. as we go along here. So anyway... Um, so I've seen you on YouTube a lot. There are a lot of YouTube videos. You're a pastor of a church there in Ireland. So, so just give us the short version of where you are in Ireland, the congregation, and a little bit of and that. And the whole thing of why he's here in America. Yeah, you know, yeah we'll, just tell us yeah, we'll get to that as well. What are yeah. you up to? Yes, okay. So that's a small question, isn't it? Do they um, know you're here? How did I get here? That's what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Do they know if I skipped? No, they know I'm here, and they're praying for us, which is wonderful. And uh, So, yeah, I pastor a church in Northern Ireland in a place called Derry, uh, a beautiful part of the world, actually. And I was born in that city. And uh, 60 years ago this year, Christmas Eve. Wow. And uh, brought up in the city, come lovely family, um, three brothers, three sisters. I was brought up um, Catholic. I only say that because there you're either brought up one or the other. Yeah. Um, you know, and, it, and it's a big part of the identity thing, really, I guess, uh, because of the history of the place and that, you know. But... Um, I think something which is, uh, so actually, to cut a very long story short, my father was a veterinary surgeon. I wanted to be like him. I admire him so much. 
And so I became a veterinary surgeon as well. I traveled to London to study and it was there that I met Nicola, uh, my wife, because she was in the year below me. And um, we uh, began to work in England. Uh, Nicola fell ill within a year of working with a disease which used to be known as yuppie flu, but these days would be known maybe as fibromyalgia. Oh, yeah. Or host viral fatigue. Oh, yeah, I have no fibromyalgia. And um, what happened was really very quickly her immune system collapsed and she could only have energy to get up about an hour a day. And um, so she was invalided out of work, uh, sent home, and she was like that for three years. And during that three years, we got married. We returned to Ireland. Within weeks of returning to Ireland, Nicola, in a very despairing state, walked into a Christian bookshop and, and, uh, and gave her life uh, to the Lord, started to attend a local church, um, Pentecostal church. And six weeks later, something very unusual happened. Um, she got a lift to a meeting where there was a traveling minister speaking. And on the way to the meeting, a friend who was driving her asked her, what's the matter with you? And she described four symptoms. And then, of course, during the meeting, the minister said he felt that God was showing him there was somebody here and you had these symptoms and named the same four symptoms. So Nicola didn't know what that meant, sat there to the end of the meeting and then went forward and said, that man was talking about me. What does Mm. that mean? Wow. And they said, well, maybe it means God wants to heal you. Are you open for prayer? Do you believe that? And she said, yeah. So they... They prayed for her, and she felt the power of God come upon her. She'd never seen this herself before, but she fell out on the floor and felt like a heat lamp go all over her body, down one arm, Mm. across her chest, down her leg, back up. This went on for 20 minutes, and then she got up, and she was totally healed instantaneously. Wow, wow, that is great. And you were not there? I was not there, no, no. I mean, I was still uh, attending Mass every Sunday, um, uh, running to church, And so when Nicola, a few weeks later, began to break the news to me, um, first of all, she had to tell me that she discovered several weeks later that she had become born again. She discovered the the (laughs) phraseology that went with it, you know, didn't know what this was, but she told me. uh, And I was sort of very shocked at that because from my background, that wasn't a good phrase. (laughs) I mean, you know, born again in my context was something it was something belonging to the other side, the, the Protestant side, you know. And I'll, to be honest, the moment she said those words, Phelan, I've become born again, I remember exactly what I said to her. I said to her, does that mean you're going to be standing in the street with a placard? <laughs> because that's all I knew about well, born again. I knew what yeah. they were against. I didn't know anything they were for, you know. But when she came home healed, um, it became obvious within days that she was healed. I mean, she could could only get up for an hour a day, and now she was just totally well. So now I'm living with somebody who's speaking like they know God. Not only that, they've actually been healed. I can't deny that. You know, I just can't deny what I'm seeing. So, and of course, as I could really see her confidence. She had such confidence, you know. I mean, she could actually talk about God like she knew what he wanted. I mean, I'd be going to church for 27 years. I couldn't tell you what God wanted, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, if what he wanted for me so so her confidence really attracted me and I thought to myself I really want that I really want that but it would take 18 months before I maybe made a similar decision and I use that term lightly because looking back now although I made a decision it wasn't something that changed in that particular day it was more a persuasion of the heart you know but what I said to God was I, I want what she has but here's the deal there's no way I'm going to become a Protestant. (laughs) So I think it took God 18 months to convince me that he doesn't see people in those terms, Protestant or Catholic, you know. 
so yeah, so I mean, about eighteen months later, I I um, I just decided I'm all in as well because I realized that I didn't really know him, and my life seemed to be ruled by fear. Everything I did related to religion was because I was afraid not to. And I thought, I, I don't want to really pass that on to my children. I mean, I, I want them to have a real experience. I, I don't want it just to be traditional, you know. Now, all my family remain um, Catholic tradition. I, I have no problem with that because I've seen over the years that God meets you wherever you are. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's at work in our lives long before we give him permission to be so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, That's a great line. God is not working our lives long before we give him permission to be. That, and I, I like that. Yeah, That's and a, I stole that line. All yeah. the best. <laughs> There's nothing right? original about what I'm going to say. Roger steals a lot of lines, yeah, too. So all, my, all my best original <laughs> thoughts came from other people. I mean. <laughs> yes, that's it, yeah. So, There's nothing original. So wait, real quick, though, then we, so, um, so you're pastoring a church there and still work as a veterinarian some on the side a little bit. Yeah. But primary so is pastor of the congregation. Pastor there, of congregation, so. that's right. It's part of a movement of churches, a very old movement, over 100 years of age. And, um, yeah, by 2004, we've been in the church nearly 10 years, and uh, uh, they believed I was a pastor, called me out as a pastor. And um, and so we started the pastoring the church. In fact, there were two congregations to look after. And cut another long story short, things went on for about eight years or so until we came to a bit of a crisis in the church around about 2012 where um, folks started to leave the church. And we were sort of thrown really into a little bit of questioning what are we doing wrong you know why isn't this working uh what do we have to do around here to get blessed anyway i mean we've been doing everything we've been told to do and it costs us a lot and a lot of sacrifice and yet there's no joy or strength you know and this was like too much almost to handle because we felt that all of our work was going somewhere else and at that time actually the story of the prodigal son and the elder brother uh came to mean an awful lot to me because I felt God was saying to me, Phelan, that's you right there, the elder brother. You're standing there now and you're saying to me, look at what I've been doing all these years for you and what have I got to show for mm. it? Nothing, you yeah. know. And then I felt really what the father said to the elder brother really pierced my heart. He said, but son, don't you know everything I have is yours and you're always with me, you know. And I had to come to the conclusion that I'd been a, a minister in the church for years and I did not understand that everything he had belonged to me. You know, I had no sort of revelation really of my identity as a, as a son and um, the fact that he wasn't looking for me to jump through hoops. And, and so began a journey from then really of increasingly understanding what in our faith journey was cultural, what was self-effort, what was religious, and, and what was actually the Spirit of God gently leading us into rest and to see in fact that uh, he delighted in us no matter what we were doing. And we could walk away and, and, and not work for him at all, and he wouldn't change his mind about us. But that is right. so hard for some people to grasp, you know, that really is such, you know, they've, we've been so, I think we've been so ingrained in our default setting is, yeah. you know, we have to earn any kind of approval from God, any kind of closeness. And I think so too. And I, I think it's really gripped me in, in recent years, how do I articulate the gospel? Because I, f- I feel now looking back, I sort of believed in a you first message, you know. The gospel sounded to me like what I had to do for him to make him do something for me. Right. Um, in other words, it always began with me and ended with me, you know. And um, I can see now, in fact, that that falls very far short of, uh, of what the gospel is. And um, it's like Paul said to the Corinthians, what do you have that you didn't receive? 
so really it's a he first message we only love him because he first loved mm -hmm. us so I've come to see as well that maybe one of the fundamental building blocks that was missing was I had a really strange idea about what repentance was uh, and the church kept looking to me to repent repentance had become like a work you know well listen if you will just clean yourself up a bit try a bit harder pray a bit more do a bit more and it was always more I mean you know all my life in church God seemed to be looking for more. And I was saying, I said this to you, Jeff, recently as well, one of the things that really, it's not everybody's story, but one of the things that really got my attention was that my earthly father is such a generous man. He's such a gentle, gracious, generous father that it began to strike me that the father I was hearing about from the pulpit wasn't as good as my own dad. Right. right. You know, if my own dad, if I turned up at his house and done something wrong, he yeah. wouldn't name me according to what I'd done. He, he'd right. be gracious and he'd treat right. me just the same. Right. And also... Even to this day, he's 91 years of age. If we go out somewhere, he'll insist on paying. He just mm -hmm. gives and gives and gives. Mm -hmm. Whereas this other God I was hearing about, this father wanted to take and take and take. So yeah, I've always thought, and one of my takeaways from the, pro the story of the prodigal son is that the, both boys made the same mistake. They looked at their father as their farm manager, their boss, yeah. rather than as a dad. And we do yeah. the same thing. Yeah, we, we look do. at God as so being a father. We yeah. look at him as the boss, the manager. It's we were Phelan and I were talking earlier, Roger, about his story with his dad is kind of the opposite of what we often hear about. For a lot mm -hmm. of people that had a really abusive father or absent father, or whatever, they have a hard time thinking of God as their father because they had a bad example. His is just the opposite. Mm -hmm. He yeah. had a good example as a father, like you and I did. Mm -hmm. And so but the the father he was hearing about from the pulpit and from preachers seemed to be less yeah. kind and less loving than his natural father. So just the opposite. Yeah, a, a manager, I guess, gives you advice and good instruction on what you could do to become someone, yeah. you know, whereas a father tells you who you are. And I think really, Paul said to Corinthians, you have 10,000 managers, mm -hmm. but not many fathers. Mm -hmm. So I find in the, in the church system, I was always becoming something, but never arriving. Mm -hmm. You know, you never got to the end of the road. So there's a beautiful verse in Proverbs 13, 12 that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know, if somebody keeps promising you something and it never seems to arrive, eventually your heart begins to really shut down. So you'll sing the songs and you'll say the prayers, but really you've given up on any sort of mm -hmm. change because you keep being pointed to yourself and there's no power in any message that points you to you, you know. But the other part of that verse is beautiful. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. And so the gospel really is, listen, he's fulfilled all your dreams. There's nothing he hasn't given to you. For if he did not spare his own son, but give him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things, you know? So um, I think that's, God doesn't condemn us really. We're all growing in that. And I'm, I'm growing to the point where I'm thinking, I wonder what I'll believe in five years time. Yeah? <laughs> I've thought that very same thing. I've mentioned that on this podcast. I, yeah. I've seen how much I have, some change of thinking I've had over the last yeah. 15 years, I mean, five years, and I do wonder, okay, yeah. where am I going to be five years yeah. from now? And I, I think it's a good thing that yeah. it's, it's a path of discovery that is infinite. Yeah. Really in that I think uh, Peter said, the apostle Peter, do not fall into error, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And um, I mean, I, I respect uh, whatever Christian I come across, whatever denomination or structure how can I l look askant at anybody? Because what do I have that I didn't receive, you know? Um, and so God is very gracious. He, he, he meets people where he finds them, and then he takes us on that journey if we want to go on it. There's nobody forcing you to go on that journey. Well, let me ask you a question. What's your theory on, you know, why certain believers do seem 
um, just afraid or even um, resentful that there might be more to God than what they've understood or been taught, more to the Bible, that they, they just really dug in to where... I, I think fear's at the bottom of that. It wasn't my life, really, you know, because the whole system seemed to be based on fear. If you don't do this, this will happen. And if you don't do that, you know, which is why I sort of entitled the book The Father We Never Knew, because so much really was based on, on not knowing. Mm-hmm. I'm better safe than sorry. Uh, you know, I mean, everybody else is doing this. I better do it too, or else I could be in big trouble. So... I suppose maybe it takes years to recognize that all of that doing isn't changing you. It doesn't change the heart. Um, I don't have any more peace than I had before or any more joy. Where's all that supposed to be? I mean, when I read in Scripture, these people are just, they have no fear of death. You know, how did they get that? I think they had a real encounter with him as he really is. Um, so I think that if, if people are, are uh, resistant to a message about the extravagance of God is because they're afraid. I remember the first time in church I ever heard a congregation laugh, mm-hmm. right? And, I, and the priest told a joke. It was a really funny joke, actually. And the congregation laughed, and I thought we're all about to be struck dead. I didn't think <laughs> you're allowed to laugh in church. Well, you know? we did not have that experience right. growing up. Yeah. Our pastor was big on humor, so we... That's, uh, <laughs> that's great, you know. Let me get back a little bit then how you're here. So then we'll, we'll get to some more of this and then your book and all that. So so you and I knew each other through there. And then I learned that you all were coming to the U.S. About a year or so ago, mm. I learned that you all were coming to the U.S. And you yeah. were, you just, last weekend, you spoke at a conference, or one of the, you were one of the speakers at a conference in Branson, Missouri. Yes, yes. And so I had contacted you probably a year or so ago, saying, you know, what else? You're going to be in the U.S. very long and all that. So found out you were going to be here for a while and had some open time. So mm-hmm. bottom line is, and we had talked occasionally about having the having a Fields Brothers retreat. And then we learned of a home in a little south of Knoxville that would, Knoxville, Tennessee, that would host us. And so, okay, Phelan's going to be here. He's You're open to coming, it sounds like. You haven't asked for money. This thing may work. And so, <laughs> yeah. so here we are. So by the time this podcast is available, we will have already had our retreat. So, but tomorrow from when we're recording this, we're heading down to Tennessee. Roger, are you still going to join us? You think? I'm, the, make, I'm planning okay, on it. Yes. Yeah. Lovely. Roger. And, um, wouldn't be the same without you. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, Fields Brother Retreat doesn't have the same ring as a Fields <laughs> yeah. Brothers yeah. Retreat, I guess. But so will there be 20 or 25 of us there and uh, in conversations from Tuesday night to Thursday morning? And um, looking forward to you sharing more then. Mm. And um, so, just very, just I can't tell you how grateful I am that you would come to this area, that y'all would come to this area and share this time with us. And we had a great Roger. We had a we went as I told you we went to Natural Ridge State Park. Uh, we actually while well, people our listeners know okay. from out of Kentucky, this is in Kentucky. This yeah. is actually real close to where you used to live down. Oh yeah, down yeah real close. So, all right, Natural Bridge, Kentucky. All right. And so there's a nice hiking trail up to High Point. So we did that on the way up there. I get a call from a friend of mine in Ohio that that went to Israel with us, and so he was coming through the area. He says, "Well, he thought I was in Lexington. He said he was calling to see if we can meet up for lunch." So I said, "Well, I can meet for lunch, but you're going to have to come to." <laughs> where we are and he'd been there before because he'd been here one time we'd taken him so bottom line is he showed up as well today oh wow uh, a lot of very uh, challenging things going on in his personal life over the last several months and so we sat at miguel's pizza place uh, mm. the local folks will know what that is and just had an incredible conversation um mm. with him about what all was going on in his life wow. and i mean it was obvious it was no coincidence no that, that we were there no and um, so anyway, so then so we're back here. So we're heading to Tennessee for a few days. 
And um, and then you're going on to the Northeast from here, uh, cousin yeah. in Connecticut, New York. You get to see New York City for the first time. Yeah, I mean, weekend, the whole thing for us, really, we're pinching ourselves that we're actually here. How on earth did this happen? And uh, I could trace it back to the lockdown, actually, back home, where we weren't allowed to leave the house or church was shut. So I went into my back garden and got my laptop out, stuck it on top of the wheelie bin and started making videos. <laughs> wow. You know, and then stuck them on YouTube or Facebook and then other people with a similar outlook began to get in touch, you know, and then we began to, you know, yeah. contact those people. And so when we were in Branson, we met up with some wonderful folk who had been Facebook friends up to now, but now are yeah, sort of yeah. real friends. You could say yeah. <laughs> they actually exist, these people, you know. Yeah. And, uh, they're not artificial intelligence. No, they're not artificial intelligence, <laughs> you know. And uh, there's, so there's some wonderful ministries out there and folk who are on this um, similar journey, just sort of, uh, understanding and um, uh, beginning to receive more and more the extravagance of the father. Now, people get very worried when you talk about that, you know, and I I did as well. When I first began to get a revelation that maybe God had actually done something about sin, you know, and in fact that he wasn't as obsessed with it as maybe the church was, um, I began to really think, you know, I've got to be careful with this revelation of grace because I know what people are going to say. And I imagined conversations in my head. I imagined of a conversation and I'd say what I believed and somebody would say, oh, so you're just saying we can do what we want. That's what you're <laughs> saying. Soft you're know? yeah, soft yeah. on sin. Yeah, soft on sin. And uh, and my reply was often, no, 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 I'm not saying you can do what you want. But the Holy Spirit always checked me and said, no, that that is what I'm saying. I I don't yeah. understand. What do you mean you want them to do what they want? But but lately I was I was sharing with with a group and I used the analogy of of Nicola. You know, we had our wedding anniversary lately. We're 34 years married. And if I'd sat her down and said to her, now listen, you, I want the truth. Why did you marry me? And she had said, well, to be honest, I thought living in England would be a hell of a place to live, and I really wanted to live in Ireland, so that's why I married you. you know? <laughs> so I'm thinking, what, you, you did out of fear. In other words, you don't really want to be with me, and, but I wanted you to want me. That's the point, you see. And that's all the Lord's saying. I want you to want me. You can't live a life that you ought to live. I want you to live the life that you want to live. And so what we don't understand is that the Holy Spirit comes. He changes our wants. Like the prophet yeah. Ezekiel said, I'm going yeah. to put my spirit in you and you're going to want to. Right. You know, I'm going to, ma- I'm going to right. enable you to live the life. So that's the mistake I was making for years. I was trying to live for God, but I had no revelation of his life living in me and that it would be his life. You know, that, like the angel Gabriel never said to Mary, you will produce Christ. He said, when the spirit comes, you'll bear Christ. Hmm. You know? So I understand now that he was never asking me to do one thing for him. He was only ever saying, let's do everything together. You know, let's do it together. And like the disciples, they walk with them for three years. Imagine if you've been to Bible college for three years with Jesus as your teacher, you know. You'd think at the end of that time you're fit to go out and teach, but he yeah. said, don't you dare move until the Spirit comes, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit like, that's why I love this conversation in the podcast, because none of us know what we're going to say, you know. And life's like that. I, I didn't plan. We didn't know we'd be here two years ago, you know. And isn't life much more exciting when you're not trying to plan it down to the last detail because of a fear of death, but you can actually think, you know what, I think I'll leave the future to the Father because I really think he's got my back. I'm going to live fully in the day I'm in. It's a much more exciting life. Absolutely. Isn't it? Yeah. Well you, put. you mentioned earlier about the, uh, the prodigal son. Uh, tell me if you've noticed this too. Almost everybody that I have been blessed by in recent years, teachers, authors, podcasters, YouTubers, whatever, Almost every one of them frequently mentions the story of the prodigal son, and, and I read one place. It's almost like that one story is a is the gospel in a, in a nutshell, or it's almost the whole Bible in a nutshell type of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so the 
the title of your book was The Father We Never Knew. So tell me, tell us a little bit about kind of what was on your mind and, and what led you to write that book. And then that other, the subtitle about the, uh, mm. what was the subtitle about the, uh, Unbinding. The unbinding of the Lazarus Church. So tell us what the Lazarus the Church is yeah. and, and what. Well, the I guess you about. see, we're we're a new creation. We're we're absolutely uh, a totally new creation. We have everything we need, but we're still bound up in ourselves. If I keep pointing to you um, uh, to do this and to do that in order to please God more, I'm going to wrap you up in yourself. You know, like Lazarus was alive from the dead, but he was no. He had no revelation of his new life because he was totally bound. And uh, if you remember, the first thing Jesus said to him was uh, unbind him. Uh, And the first thing they would have unbound would have been his eyes. They could have seen that he had a new life, you know. So I think that's what the preaching of the the gospel does. It it unbinds us um, to see, in fact, uh, who we are, where we are, how much we have. So that story of the prodigal son became very important because um, I think people fall into those two categories. Some people have worked away from him in the world. Or sorry, walked away from him. The people have left church, just just not having anything more to do with this God, this angry God. You know, they walked away, and other people in the church have worked away from him. Like Martha, you know, the longer Martha worked for him, the further she felt from him, till eventually she blew up and accused him. You know, and I think many of us for years um, were working for him because we've sort of been told that if you keep doing this, something good's going to happen. Now that can only get a grip of your life if you don't see that something good has already happened. Mm-hmm. And that should be the proclamation of the gospel. It's really, let, let me tell you what he's done, you know. The gospel is not the news of what you have to do for him. It's the news of what he has done for you. In fact, that, that word, the euangelion, the gospel, in ancient times, it was the news of a great victory. And the whole city waited for that news because it was the news that they had been delivered from death to life. And there was great celebration. I mean, no evangelist in the ancient world ever arrived at a city with advice. Never advice, you know, but what we've done is we've added some <laughs> yeah. advice to the gospel. Paul said, don't do that. Don't add a little leaven. You'll make it all about you. Like he said to the Galatians, I left you with a pure message, you know, which actually caused the miraculous in your life. And then somebody came along and just added a little bit. Well, that's fine, but you've also got to do this. That little, you've got to do this. That's why your joy is gone, you know. Um, the other example that really strikes me as powerful is, is Peter when he's called for the first time to go to the house of Gentiles. Right. I mean, this is a, a paradigm shift in the early church because they think Christianity is for Jews. I mean, them dirty Romans who killed Christ, he wouldn't obviously be looking to, to reach them. So suddenly, Peter, before he gets that knock on the door to go to visit this house of the Gentiles, he gets the vision of a sheet coming down from heaven. And three times a voice says, stop calling unclean what I have cleansed. Don't do that. And that's because if he hadn't had that revelation, he couldn't have helped himself going along to that house and giving those uh, Gentiles some advice on what they should do to get themselves cleaned up. Mm-hmm. And then God would save mm-hmm. them, you know. Right. Maybe you might think about getting circumcised, stop eating that meat, you know. Maybe you could uh, stop some of your bad habits. And that's actually the way the gospel is quite commonly preached now. It is. Here's what you need to do in order to get yourself clean enough that God would save you. In other words, repentance is a work of the flesh. Uh, whereas actually repentance is that metanoia is just to be gobsmacked at the generosity of God. And so every time you dilute the generosity of God, you're taking the power out of people's ability to have a metanoia until eventually people only have it when they're broken. So maybe they've been in church for years and, and then they fall off the cliff and they, something happens and then they discover God catching them. And they think, my God, you know, he was hmm. for me all along. Yeah. <laughs> I, I never knew it. 
Yeah. You know, so I, yeah. when I see people come into church now, the people I want to see come in aren't those who are swapping churches because they don't like the doctrine or something, you know, or because the crash facilities are better. I like to see people come in who have totally messed up and thinking, I don't, I don't think they have anything more to do with me. Because I think those people are at the place to be able to understand the gospel mm. that he's not yeah, asking you to do something, yeah. you know. Talk, talk a little bit about a couple of things that you mentioned, plus something that you and I talked about earlier. Um, you know, or so Jesus spoke to Lazarus. I never heard, I thought of the concept of his eyes were the first part that was uncovered. I guess that's right. That, that makes sense. That, that's mm. interesting. But it was the spoken word to, to raise him up. And then you and I were talking earlier about um, Ananias speaking to Saul and yes. just the power of, mm. of how we, and so this would relate to Roger's earlier question, I think. Mm. You know, some people, maybe are not believers at all, but some people who are believers, but really entrenched in a, you yeah. know, in a kind of a do-it-yourself well, type of thing. So yeah. how use the word, words. Yeah, you use the word entrenched there. You think of the elder brother. Why couldn't he come out of the field? There he is standing in the field. The party's gone on. Why can't he come out of the field? Because he's chained to his earthly record. His field is his life. Father, I've worked for years in this field. I mean, this, this is my life here. Mm. Uh, you're asking me to, that that doesn't count to... to come out of that and into just into your generosity. So I think sometimes the longer people have been down the religious system, the more sacrifices have made. Yeah. And so it's a big thing to turn around to somebody and say, to be honest, you know, your salvation is not based on all those sacrifices. And, and actually, a lot of those sacrifices you made, some of which were very painful or because God isn't the one who was actually making you suffer like that. That, that, that was you trying to purge yourself in some way um, of your life, you know, he's not like that. Um, so the, to hear, in fact, that he addresses you not according to your earthly record is something so beautiful. And there was two examples that really strike me about this, you know. One is Jesus coming to Jericho and meeting Zacchaeus, the biggest thief in the city. And there he is, he stands under the tree, and everybody's expecting him to give Zacchaeus both barrels. Now we'll really see if this guy's a prophet or not, you know, because if he is, he should say to this guy, listen, you, get down out of that tree, pay back everything you've stolen, and then I'll eat at your house. That's how we commonly preach the gospel, you know. Mm -hmm. But instead, he looks at them and says, Zacchaeus, you know, oh, I've waited so long. Today, hurry down. I must stay at your house. And so he, he treats them as if he's got no record. I mean, the, the scripture says the people are furious, you know, because this guy's stolen from everybody in the town. But Jesus deals with him not according to his earthly record. And he was continually do, doing that. He wasn't, uh, he was always speaking to the wrong people as far as the religious were concerned, you know. And when I looked into the meaning of Zacchaeus's name, it was so beautiful. You see, there was somebody else who saw Zacchaeus without a record years before his parents. The day he was born, they picked up that baby and they loved him so much. And that baby had no record at all. That baby was perfect and innocent. So they named him Zacchaeus, which means pure and righteous. And 40 years later, or whatever it was, that Jesus comes along, he looks up the tree, and he says, hey, pure and righteous, come down here. Now, Zacchaeus, something in him jumped. Something in him responded to being treated like that. And two hours later, after Jesus has just been treating him as perfect, he stands up in the middle of that room, and he says, you know, I know who I am now. I'm the man who gives half he owns away to the poor, and I'm going to pay back four times what I've stolen. And Jesus said, look, everybody, a son of Abraham, now, everybody could see it then, but nobody could see it two hours later, earlier, when he stood under that tree. So we've been given the Holy Spirit that we would see people not according to yeah. their earthly record. Yeah. You know? But oh, how can I yeah. see you that way if I've never seen myself that way? If I've never known that he sees me not according to my 40 years in the field or my 40 years in the bar, but he sees me according to his 
belief that his life in me is, is what's going to change me, not my life for him, you know. And the other classic example for me was Ananias, that disciple in Damascus, busy praying away, telling God all about this horrible murderer called Saul of Tarsus. He's murdered Stephen. He's on his way here to murder some of us. And the Holy Spirit interrupts him and says, do you mind if I tell you who he is? That's my chosen vessel. <laughs> you know, Ananias is just, and not only that, Ananias, I'll tell you who you are. You're the man who's going to tell him. <laughs> and, yes, I'm, yes. and I'm so convinced about this I've actually yes. already given him a dream and in the dream he's seen you telling him so you better get down there you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then Ananias goes right up to, to this murderer of Stephen and his first words out of his mouth are brother Saul brother and at that word something like scales fell from Saul's eyes you know so that's the extravagance and the scandalous gospel that we have come right away from by trying to clean it up a little bit more and make it a little bit more respectful, you know? Someone once said this, and I'm going to steal this line again, Roger. You know, someone <laughs> said, how did we take a message that attracted the bar crowd and repelled the religious, and in 2,000 years, reverse that? Mm. We did it by taking a message about his love for us and making it one about our love for him. So how do you, so this idea of speaking to someone according to who... They really are, and yeah. who God sees them versus their record or what yeah. the outward see. And yeah. so you're saying we can, whether believer or not believer, we, yeah. we can. it changes how we speak to people and how we see them in a way yeah. that will cause something yeah. within them, the spirit within yeah. them, or, cry, or the, this. I, I, I can't that. do that. I can't work that up. You yeah. know, I can't. I mean, it's by the Spirit. I'll tell you one thing it will help. Preach to me the gospel. Tell me how much he loves me. Uh, let me get drunk on that. Let me get so full of that. When I go out the door, I'm happy. I'm not so self-conscious, introverted, fearful that, excuse me, I haven't got time for you. I've got, I got a life to live, live you know. Yeah. Fill me again with this peace that, as far as he's concerned, uh, I'm done, I, I'm, I'm covered, I'm saved, he's done it all. Let me be free in that so I can actually look at people and not look at them as, what, well, what can you do for me, you know? Uh, I'm trying to make a living here. How is this guy going to help me, you know? So when you realize that your father has your back, and you can be at peace concerning tomorrow, you genuinely have more time for people, you know? You can listen to people maybe, and maybe you can won't define them by their history or by what they've done wrong or what they've done right, but you can maybe listen to the Spirit and say, well, who is this person? I mean, who, who has God called them to be, you know? And God's got such beautiful purposes for people, you know? Mm -hmm. And he does take the ashes and make beauty out of it. Let me ask you this question. Somebody uh, shared with me the verse that uh, we know out of John 10 where Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Hey, lay down my life for the sheep. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it just kind of struck me that it's almost like we've done a role reversal. We kind of act like we're the shepherd and God is always needing something from us mm -hmm. and we're always having to do something for him. And it's almost like we think we're the shepherd. I yep. mean, it's like, you know, poor God. He's always needing money. He's always needing service. He's always need, he's, He just needs everything. And we just got to take care of this little sheep. And we've kind of put ourselves in the role of the shepherd. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. I, I think a word, the word participation helps me rather than the word production. You know, so all my life I thought they were looking to me to produce this Christian life, you know. And everything I've been told to do was that I would produce this life as if I could do it by myself. And I, I realize now that God says, no, no, no. The gospel is not asking you to produce the Christian life. It's inviting and empowering you to participate in the life already given, his life. So it's actually his life in you that will do everything that, um, in fact, not, not that you have to do, but, I mean, who doesn't want to love 
or be patient or be kind or gentle, you know. But it's, I can only give what I have received. It's the last thing Jesus said to his disciples when he sent them down the road. Freely you have received, freely give. I've found that I can't freely give until I freely receive. So I, if I find that I, I, I can't really think well of people, then I'm going to have to come into the house and, and close the door and just spend a bit of time receiving again, just to be, mm-hmm. be thee being filled with the love of God, you know? So, because we all know that people can teach us doctrine, which is correct, but they're not teaching it in the right spirit. And, and we're not being changed by it because it's not love that's been ministered. Uh, it's fear in many places, you know? Yeah. I heard you. I listened to one of your part of one of your talks in Branson's this the other day, and I think I've heard you talk about this before. You talked about the difference, the way you can tell whether or not you're really hearing the gospel or not. Do you walk away with it being put on your responsibility? I can't remember exactly. So how did you? You know what I'm talking about? How you say yeah. that? Or did yeah. you did, did that you walk person, away? Yeah. Did that person just leave your hope on you? Yeah. Or on Christ? You know, you could preach the greatest gospel message in the world, but in the last two minutes, wreck it by saying no. Given everything that God's done for you, what are you going to do? Right. You know, well, how many times have I heard that? Where I've heard a pretty good grace message up until the last ninety seconds, yeah. and it just—it's like a shipwreck at the end. Like, well, because everything gets turned around now. You've got to, you know, your yeah. obligations yeah. now to wrap this. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, and, and what is imparted to people there is the idea that the father is really disappointed. Yeah. You know, you know, if you have a child and you think that you're going to help them by giving them advice every time they come home from school, um, you're thinking, well, that's great, but you know what? You could do better. And you genuinely think you're helping your child, but every time you give them more and more and more advice on what to do, what they're hearing is, you're not enough. You're not yeah, enough. People interpret enough. advice as criticism. Yeah, yeah. It's true, but I think the idea at the end of a message really of throwing it back onto the people is to really give the impression that the Father is still waiting for them to do something. There's a beautiful line where Paul said to the Colossians, since you then were raised with Christ, which is a game changer, set your eyes on things above where Christ is sat down at the right hand of the Father. You see, he sat down because everything that needs to be done has been done. You know, He's not looking for you to finish something he began. Now, when people hear that, they say to you what they always said when this gospel was preached, what they said to Jesus all the time. Yeah, but what do we have to do? We must have to do something. What must we do? And his reply was, just believe in him whom the Father has sent. Believe in my work, you know. But yes, you're right. We were made to be like him. And But what God says, listen, I, I want you to participate with me. So yeah, I know, like men love doing you know, uh, we, we love to, to see the fruit of our hands, and, and, and that's a gift. It's great to be satisfied with doing something. So he's not saying, do nothing. He's saying, do nothing without me. Let, let my life do it with you. Let's do it together. And you don't do it out of a sense of obligation. Exactly. You don't do it out yeah. of a sense of, I've got to earn something, pay for something. Yeah. That's all been done. Yeah, yeah, that's been done, really, you know. So... Um, so we, we hear a message like that that doesn't put it back on ourselves, but we walk away. So when we hear the gospel, we walk away not with a sense of what I need to do now. We walk away with a sense of being enriched. Wow. wow. Yeah, Look we're, at what. Yeah, What's well, a sense of something to believe? We have yeah, something yeah. to believe at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the generosity of God that leads men to have a yeah. metanoia, yeah. a total way of thinking that, you know, I don't have to save myself. Uh, uh, you know, all a world that doesn't know a savior can do is teach men to save themselves. That's the spirit of the world. 
here's what you need to do to save yourself. And when the spirit of the word goes into the church, the gospel gets changed to, well, here's what you need to do to save yourself. So it's leading people to the wrong tree. That's back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If we only knew a little bit more, you could save yourself. So keep coming, keep learning, you know. You wake up 40 years later, you've been a student for 40 years in the church, but you're no more peace, you know, because you were thrown back on yourself. Um, That's not the gospel. I've heard you in the past, thing. we haven't talked about it this week while you've been here, but that you don't tell people to have faith. You don't mm. tell people to believe. No. You just speak the good news. Tell them what well, is. Faith comes by hearing. Yeah, right. so, so hearing talk a little God. bit about that, yeah. Phelan. So Yeah. Um, yeah, don't tell me I need more faith. Give me more gospel, yeah. you know, because faith comes by hearing. It's the faith of Christ. It's a gift. We're saved by faith, by, by grace, through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Boast. Now, that is why I can drive through Kentucky or Ireland and see 15,000 different denominations. That comes from boasting. The idea that, well, actually, I'm going to do it different to you, and you're not doing it right. You know, If you're doing it the way we were doing it, you'd be closer to God. You know, mm-hmm. Well, we get a revelation that in Christ you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. You know, um, Then what unites us is much greater than what divides us, if you keep your eyes fixed on him. But when people preach to you, which drops your eyes onto yourself, then suddenly there's a big difference between me and you because I'm not doing it the same way you're doing it, you know? So, we yes. Can, we can even turn believing into a work in that regard. When I say, yeah. okay, you know, it's like, here's what you need to do. You need, you know, as opposed to just Jesus to said proclaiming that you, the good news. He, yes. Letting um, faith happen in yeah. that regard. So. He said that you clean the outside of the cup. Remember they said it to the religious leaders, you know, you, you clean the outside of the cup. Don't do that, you know. Uh, let the inside be cleaned and the outside will clean itself. Um, you know, let the heart, everything comes from the heart. So when, when you look at sins, okay, sins are like the branches of a tree. The, the root of that tree is this lie that I've got to save myself. So what sins is, is grasping for life. You know, w- we have been delivered from the lust that's in this world because we have already been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. But if I don't see that, I'm going to be grasping for life. So again, I'm going to hurt somebody like a man drowning is thrashing all around the place, you know. So if you get hurt by your neighbor, uh, be merciful. He was trying to save himself. Mm. And that's why he'd give you a black eye. He was really thrashing around trying to grasp for life. Oh, and so the father looks, Jesus looked from the cross and said, Father, they don't know what they're doing. He, he saw them as drowning, drowning people, really, you know, because we have, we're under this lie that we have to save ourselves, original lie. Well, you could become like God if you do this, do this, do this. And it looks good for wisdom. It still does. You can sell a lot of books and CDs and 10 ways to be a better Christian, yep. but it still doesn't bring you life. Right. Mm. So, I mean, anything else you'd want to, I mean, we kind of need to start wrapping this up here in a little bit, but uh, so the name of your book again. Is the Father We Never Knew. The Father We Never Knew. I, I heard something someone said recently, and I'll just finish with this. I think it's on Amazon, right? Amazon? Oh, it is. It okay, is. All right. It is. That's right. Father, uh, right. Go and ask your Father God about this. Don't take my word for anything. Go and ask Him yourself. He'll tell you. Is that yep. your last word? That's or any other words word. to our to our audience? <laughs> well, this here. has been great. I yeah, appreciate you. your being here, and I love hearing your vantage point on things, and it's just uh, very refreshing. Thank you, Roger. It's a and, blessing uh, to be this here. Is, this is great. And I'm just glad I don't have to sit here and listen to Roger the entire time. <laughs> I get to listen to somebody else for for a change. But no, it's it's very much a blessing. Just looking forward to our next few days together and with some more folks. Amen. And um, we may even corral you into 
doing another podcast when we're down in Tennessee here. Nope, in a few you're days. paying me so well. I just, <laughs> how can I resist? So that won't cost us uh, any we extra. We really have to huh? bring that up again, but I'm mean, okay. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Faith. God bless. Thank you. <laughs>